At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. of the call up and we're kicking it off with the hottest performers in the minor leagues right now both pitchers and hitters players who are just tearing it up i'm arm Layton. he's jack mcmullen and we've got a kind of wide range jack of of players that we're going to discuss some from the lower levels some from the higher levels pitchers that are a little bit older pitchers that are a little bit younger we tried to highlight each of the prospects that really over the last 20 games specifically have been just on another level than the rest of their competition. And we got a lot of fun names to get into. Yeah, I guess the only criteria that we had was be really good over that sample, right? Because we we pull from people that are from all walks. We've got Matos, we've got, you know, Cooper Jerpy with with the Cardinals, like that's college left-handed arm. And then that's young AAA bat. And that college arm is in high A right now. So doesn't matter who they are. If they have any semblance of prospect intrigue and they've been really good, chances are we're going to mention them. There's an article that should be, uh, depending on on how things go by the time we we put this out, how much time I have tonight uh, to get to it. There should be an article linked in the episode description to accompany this with a little bit more data on each of the players that we discussed. We're going to try to get into as much as we can, but we're obviously, as we always do, go a little bit deeper on on some of the players that I think have a little bit more prospect intrigue or guys that we want to dive into a bit deeper. Uh, so if you're clamoring for a little bit more information on maybe somebody that we didn't go as deep into on this episode, there will surely be more info on said player uh, in the article that will accompany this. If it's not in the podcast description, that means I didn't get to it quick enough, but it will be out on justbaseball.com. It's just a matter of when, not if. Uh, and we're going to start doing that a little bit more frequently with you know the, the heat sheet check-ins every two weeks. I think Baseball America is kind of uh, tackled the the heat sheet name specifically. So I think we're going to call it prospect performers, uh, whatever you want to call it, guys that are off to really nice stretches right now. So we might as well start with probably the most unconscious player 
in minor league baseball right now. I'd venture to say, Jack, unless you can think of someone at the big league level, I don't know if there's a person on planet Earth, maybe even including college, that is swinging the bat better than Luis Matos of the San Francisco Giants right now. Uh, he's in AAA, and it's this stretch of 20 games has been in the middle of a promotion as well, or you could say a promotion has been in the middle of this stretch of 20 games where the center fielder has slashed 402, 439, 674 with six home runs. What stands out the most to me, Jack, about this stretch is that he has homered nearly as many times as he struck out. Six homers, six walks, seven strikeouts. If you go to the last 14 games, you can have the fun with numbers, six home runs, six strikeouts. So this guy has just been on another planet, 92% zone contact over that span. He seems to just be getting better and better. When you're a bat to ball guy with above average power, and then they send you to the PCL, it's really awesome to see that above average power start playing like plus. And all of a sudden, Luis Matos is in this perfect situation where he can take the the connection that he's had with the bat to ball department, that uptick in power we've seen. And now you put him in that environment and now he's just playing like a superstar. Yeah. Well, I, you just sent me on a mission here and I was thinking, all right, there are two other guys that jump to the forefront of my mind. Ellie De La Cruz is striking out too much to be better than Luis Matos. Uh, in his first couple of games at the big league level, obviously the OPS has been great and he's making things happen, but you know, he's got whiff and Luis Matos has no whiff. Then yeah. I was looking at this kid, Trey Richardson at TCU, who had that 11 RBI game during the regional <laughs> yeah. cooled off during the super against Indiana state. So he's not swinging the bat better than Luis Matos right now. He is the most hot bat on planet earth right now. Yeah, I, I really think so. We might get a reply like my son in 12U Little League right now is is hitting 800 over his last couple games or so last the dozen Evo games. Shield Canes kid yeah. has a compression sleeve at 11 years old. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll tip the cap there. But if we got to go that deep, uh, Luis Matos is, is just on another level. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into Matos and Christian Encarnacion Strand in the next episode this week, because the second episode that we're going to put out this week is Another check-in on imminent big leaguers, I think on both ends of the spectrum, because there were some guys that I think we were assuming would be called up in the next month or two that might be struggling, and then guys that are performing in a way that you know could be getting them to the big leagues relatively soon. Luis Matos being one, I think it's, it's really going to be relatively soon with the way he's swinging it. It's hard to justify not calling him up in, in the next few weeks or even month or two at the very latest, especially with the Giants kind of needing some help in the outfield right now. And then Christian Encarnacion Strand who's another guy we're not going to dive as deep into him because again, we're going to talk about him a lot in the next episode, but Reds prospect, he's mostly playing first base now, uh, but has been playing a little bit more third lately, which I think is interesting. He went through a stretch of like 10 straight games where he played first base and then five of his last six. And I think it was like six of his last eight. He's played third. I don't know if that's in preparation for a call up where they want him kind of moving back and forth since Steer is now playing first and Steer was really struggling at third. I don't think CES could be necessarily worse, though. I don't know how much better he is, but that's not why we talk about this guy. Why we talk about this guy is because over the last and he's been insane all year, to, to be fair. But over the last 25 games, he is slashing in AAA 373, 463. 745. That's a 1208 OPS, a 20% K rate, a 14% walk rate, nine home runs. Again, we'll dive deeper because there's some things I want to highlight. I've been 
updating my write-up on CES as we prepare for the top 100 update. Spoiler alert, he'll be in the back end of that. And one of the hardest things for me has been trying to figure out this guy's hit tool. So we're going to, we're going to go more into that next episode, but man, what this guy's doing right now, Jack is unbelievable. He's catching up to Velo better than he ever has. He's crushing hangers. He just doesn't miss a hanger. And the, the power is foul pole to foul pole. This guy just seems like he knows exactly what he wants to do out there. And he's just kind of waits for a pitcher to make a mistake and doesn't miss it. But it's been impressive to me the way he's been able to hit all different types of pitches this year. He hasn't just been that mistake hitter. He's really just been tough to beat, period. Yeah, AAA baseball is too easy for him. That's honestly my main takeaway here. And I think that this guy, more than anybody else, is ready for the big league level. And I guess I probably should have saved that take for the next episode that we do when we do proximity. But like, I mean, that's what his game is. We've talked about him. He's a free swinger. And he's not getting beat by anything. It feels like if you play MLB The Show on Rookie and and you're getting a center cut pitch and you're drilling it, and even the well-executed pitch, you're drilling it. Um, Reds announced their lineup. That's the wild thing, dude, because it's like you think AAA pitchers, experienced arms, like, oh, this guy chases 40% of the time. Let me exploit that. But no. No. I mean, listen, it's – I guess easier said than done. Make a pitch look good and then have it not be good. Um, I, I'm sure that there are too many non-competitive pitches in AAA that you probably don't see in, in big league ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really hard to make pitches look like strikes until they aren't three times in an at-bat. And I'm sure he's just killing these mistakes. Yeah, Reds announced their lineup in Kansas City on Monday night. It's Steer at first, India at second, McLean at short, De La Cruz at third, Tyler Stevenson DHing, Luke Maley catching. I think CES comes up in DHs. Yeah, probably. And then, you know, the day that they want to get McLean maybe off his feet, they put Elliott short. Maybe that's a day that CES plays third. I'm interested to see what they do. I also would love to see him get a little bit of a look in the outfield. I don't know how well he moves his feet out there. Obviously, we haven't seen him there. His arm is ridiculous. And I could see him kind of being hidden to a degree and right where he's not egregious. It's it's not a very cavernous outfield out there. And he's got a rocket for an arm. I I would just like to see it tested out. Obviously, they're not going to test it in the big leagues. I'm sure there's a reason why they're not doing it. Uh, But I don't think he moves that poorly. I I wouldn't mind seeing him tested in a corner because you know the bat's going to play there. But again, we'll dive a little bit deeper into where CES fits into the Reds' long-term plans uh, in, in that imminent big leaguers episode that's coming in the next day or two. We'll go to the pitching side, and now we go down to high A. And this is somebody that you know. the more I watched and the more I dove into it, he has impressed me a ton. Drew Thorpe, right-handed pitching prospect with the Yankees. Last time we talked about Drew Thorpe was when we did that Yankees farm system breakdown. And, and Thorpe was a guy that you know we ranked there and, and definitely is, is was you know, under consideration of being one of the more intriguing arms in this system. And I really feel like this is one of the safer arms you're going to find. That's why they drafted him. And the stuff has just continued to get better. What I like about Thorpe is, well, first of all, the last five games, since it's a heat sheet, 33 innings, a 164 ERA, 37 strikeouts, eight walks, and a 59% ground ball rate. So you have a guy that's getting whiff. You have a guy that's pounding the strike zone. And you have a guy that's getting ground balls. Yes, he's a college arm in high A. But you combine all of those things, and that is just as safe of a profile as you're going to find. Strikes, 
enough swing and miss and ground balls. What else do you really want from, from a right-handed pitcher uh, who, you know, is never going to be that super high volume strikeout guy, but right now he's just kind of picking apart less experienced hitters. Yeah. And the thing that jumps out to me about Thorpe is the command isn't egregious. Like the command was excellent at Cal Poly, but you don't need to miss, like you don't need to nibble against yeah. any hitters in the big West conference. Yeah. When you are, you know, a, a high round draft pick, like he and Brooks Lee went into conference play and it's like, okay, you know, let, let's go hit 600 and let's go have a two, three, two and go 10 and one. That's what Drew Thorpe did last year. And he was walking two per nine. He's punching out 11 per nine. Mm-hmm. He's walking three guys per nine. Yeah. So he's confident. Now, does that confidence get shaken a little bit when he goes to Somerset? I don't know. We have to find out. And I think he's ready to go to Somerset. So what I think we'll see when he gets to Somerset, and again, I could be totally wrong. This is just my my prediction here. And and over this five game span, I think this is the version of of Thorpe that's going to play at the double A level, which is I don't think the strikeouts will be there quite as much. Obviously, you're you're not going to be able to get you're not going to be able to just outclass guys the way he is with the three pitch mix. But I do think he's going to be someone that pounds the strike zone and gets a lot of ground balls. His slider is what stands out to me, especially over these five starts where he has thrown the slider more than his fastball. He has a ton of confidence in it and it's a gyro slider. So it's got that, you know, it's not as hard as Graham Ashcraft's, but it's that 84, 85 mile an hour downward breaking gyro slider. He gets a ton of ground balls with it. 57% ground ball rate on that slider this year. Opponents are hitting 191 against it. So I feel like it's the three pitch mix. The changeup is really good. That was always kind of his bread and butter. And the fastball was good enough. That three pitch mix, I think is going to get him a lot of ground balls keep guys off the base paths and just enough whiff. He projects as a back end of the rotation guy and he just looks so safe. I think that's a perfect kind of pitcher for the Yankees too. Yankee stadium, get the ball on the ground, keep the ball in the yard, pound the strike zone. I'm a big fan of Thorpe's and I think he's quickly becoming one of the better arms in this system. He's what they wanted with Will Warren too, right? Like I I think having him and Warren with them running out Clark Schmidt and Domingo Herman, you kind of feel really good about what you got. Absolutely. Second round pick, by the way, too. So a nice little snag there by the Yankees. Looks like it's paying early dividends. Double A will be a great test uh, to see how the stuff plays. Next guy is a guy in double A right now who has just been on fire in that Yankee system. And and I think Thorpe will be joining him soon. Clayton Beater, right-handed pitching prospect, came over from the Dodgers in that Joey Gallo trade. He's running a 21 and a third consecutive scoreless inning streak right now, dude, which is crazy because Clayton Beater... I mean, it's always been, is he going to command it enough? And I still think the question is, is he going to command it enough? Because over these four starts where he's not given up a run, zero, so 21 and thirds innings, 26 Ks, 11 walks, which is still too many, 10 hits. The biggest competition for Clayton Beater is himself, clearly. 11 hits, 10, or 11 walks, 10 hits, I think just perfectly exemplifies that. Yeah. 45% slaughter usage over the span, 45% fastball usage. The slider is a 70 pitch and the fastball is flash plus. I think it's closer to a 55 grade pitch, but he has been able to just dance the tightrope because of how nasty the slider is. And he executes it really well, especially with runners on, especially in jams. Have you changed your perspective on beater at all with the performances here and specifically the performance over the last four starts? 
That's a good question. The only thing that I point to here that, that you know makes me say like, yes, I could change my perception. Um, this guy split last year between double A Tulsa and double A Somerset after the trade um, between the Dodgers and Yankees. 25 appearances last year, 77 innings. That's a little over three innings per start. That's fewer than three and a third per start. He's up from three innings per outing to five innings per outing. Yeah. Nobody jumps two innings per outing in a year. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure if it's, oh, well, that's the Dodger way. Like we've talked about that before. I mean, the Dodgers guard their their pitching prospects until they get to double or triple. But I mean, Beater was so protected when he came over. Seven appearances in 25 and a third innings in in Somerset last year. I was just thinking, okay, this guy's a swingman, but now he's putting together five, six inning outings. And I'm like, what the hell? This is not the beater that we've seen going on his third year in AAA or in double A. Yeah. It, I, I still, I, I think that he has proven to, because before I wasn't even thinking swingman, I'm thinking eighth inning guy, just, just yeah. ripped the slider. And I, I do feel like there is a, a very solid chance that this guy can continue to prove himself as a as someone that should at least get a look as a starter at the big league level. I see a lot of Tanner Houck here where it's like, yeah, he could get by as a starter maybe, but wouldn't he just be better as that swing man or as that multi-inning reliever that you can sometimes throw in the eighth. Sometimes if, if, if you get a short start, you can put this guy in before the game gets out of hand and he keeps you, you know, in the ball game by coming into the third and getting you to the sixth. I do feel like that's ultimately what Clayton Beater is, is that Swiss army knife. I think swingman has that negative connotation. Like I think he's a high end swingman potentially, but I think until he fully proves otherwise, keep trying him as a starter. I think the pitch usage though, the command and just the way he attacks hitters still kind of screams that multi-inning reliever type that you could spot start and feel good about it for me. Yeah. Uh, but that's still a way better outlook than when he was first. I remember this guy was traded for the corpse of Joey Gallo. It wasn't just Joey Gallo. It was pretty much the Joey Gallo at the bottom that he has really been in his entire career. You, you uh, bought at the absolute lowest. Yeah. So I think that says a lot about where beater has gotten himself. And you know, I think just getting that change of scenery has definitely helped him. And, and he's a legitimate pitching prospect in this system now. And I mean, definitely will be a, an asset to the Yankees at, at in some way uh, by the beginning of next year could even pitch his way into uh, the bullpen by, by this year if needed. Yeah. And it's hard to buck the negative connotation of swingman, but I want to buck it because there are guys that are going to make some serious money being swingmen. Like Hauk is a good swingman. Michael Kopech in 2021 was a great swingman. I think Dre Jameson is going to make some money being a good swingman for Arizona. I think it's somebody that's coming back. Like Yusmero Petit was awesome when nobody else was doing what he was doing. I hope that that four inning reliever is back. And I think Peter yeah. can be a good one. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing Trevor, uh, Trevor Richards with, with the blue Jays yeah. now with, with the, chaos that they've had with their big league rotation, especially with, with Alec Manoa. And that guy's gone multi-inning relief and plugged spot start recently. Looks good. Like that's an important role in a world now where pitchers just drop like flies left and right to have another guy that you don't have to option somebody or bring somebody up to get that emergency start when you need it. No, so it's definitely we're in a pinch. Let's go to our six. That's our long reliever. Yep. A hundred percent. And I, and I think beater could be great in that role. Another Yankee, the last Yankee that we're going to hit on here is someone that I've always liked. And it's just been tough. It's been a battle of you know, health. Obviously, he's a high-risk prospect. But Everson Pereira 
he is so talented. I, I really think he is one of the more talented prospects that does not get that you know consensus top 100 consideration. He just turned 22 years old. A little bit of prospect fatigue because he's been challenged with aggressive you know prom- or promotions or assignments pretty much over the last couple of years. He's been hurt a little bit. But Pereira, over the last 15 games in AA, 400, 456, 700 slash line, three doubles, four homers, nine driven in, and a pair of stolen bases. He plays a good outfield. I think he can be a good center fielder. He can be a great left fielder. And the power is fantastic. You look at what he has done in the 90th percentile exit velocity uh, department this year. 110 mile per hour, 90th percentile. The chase rate has been absolutely axed all the way to 23% this year. And it's been great over the span. And the zone contact over this stretch, it looks like he has figured something out. I'm going to do a little bit more of a video dive into him soon. But you look at the last 20 games, 85% zone contact. That's a small sample size for zone contact. But with somebody like Pereira, that catches my attention. He might finally be figuring it out in terms of finally getting the hit tool to get to the point where the power can really eat because we know that this is potentially 70 grade pop and it was always, is he going to hit enough to get there? He hits the ball in the air plenty. It looks like he's might be hitting enough to get there, Jack. I obviously don't want to put too much stock in, in a hot streak, but this has me feeling really good because I've always liked this guy. Yeah. And the thing that jumps out to me is he's hit half the homers that he did last year in a third of the games. So the power is there because the hit has gotten a little bit better. So uh, there's a direct correlation. If I can find the direct correlation simply by looking at the line score, I feel good about a guy. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Like it's not a matter of, Oh, he got stronger or, Oh, he's hitting the ball in the air more. He was already doing that. It's just, he's hitting the ball more. (laughs) So you got to hit the ball to hit it over the wall. And that's literally what he's doing here. So I still am a believer in, in Pereira being a, Definite top 100 prospect. And I think he's got top 50 prospect talent. If he continues to perform this way, he'll be someone that we throw up the list very quickly. You know, he's a great trade chip. <laughs> Real quick. He's an excellent trade chip. I I don't disagree. I, I guess because Jason Dominguez has not been playing to the best of his ability, but he's a full two years younger. So I, I guess from that lens, who would you rather move? It's an interesting conversation because I do think Pereira is is a freak athlete. I, he probably one of those. Someone's going to be a trade chip. I agree. And, and this is this would be one of the better trade chips on the market uh, for for the right team. I think some teams are very risk averse and he's probably relatively polarizing in the scouting ranks. But I agree that is definitely somebody that I could see moved at this deadline. And he's only bolstering that by performing at the upper levels. And I think solely because of sex appeal with the name, uh, the New York Post and other huge New York media outlets um, go into less of a frenzy if they move Pereira than Jason Dominguez. No doubt, which is very funny uh, how that works, because I think it's backwards. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be totally. Yeah, it wouldn't be one way or another for me as as a Yankee fan. If I was a Yankee fan, Uh, one other note, crushing sliders, changeups have been the one Achilles heel for him. And that's part of the reason why. I think he's got a little bit of that, a, a good fastball changeup left. He can give him a little bit of fits, but if that's the one thing that's affecting him, that's fine because he's hit breaking balls as well as ever. Let's go to Pittsburgh. A guy that, you know, you, you probably won't catch him this year because he's he's not going to, I don't think he's going to go that fast up the minor leagues. They're probably going to take their time with him. But Anthony Solomito, it, it's Solomito, right? Or Solomito. 
I think it's Solomito. Solomito. That's what I thought. Okay. Just yeah. making sure. Every once in a while, it's like, oh, well, I've been saying that wrong for a while. So just double checking. Left-handed pitcher in that pirate system. It, this was somebody that we highlighted before the season when we did the pirate system. Uh, we talked about how excited we were about this guy. Uh, somebody that I think had big time. You know, I think we had some some excitement around him going into the year. If this could be somebody that jumps up the rankings, not quite a top 100 guy, but definitely starting to make his case. Last five starts, 29 innings, two earned runs. That's an 0.62 ERA, 28 punchies, four walks, which really stands out to me for a young lefty with a funky delivery, 192 opponent batting average, 52% ground ball rate across that span. The slider has chewed guys up. Like it's just been a nasty pitch. 75% strike rate from a young lefty on a slider is really impressive over the last five starts. And the fastball command has gotten much better over the last five starts in the beginning of the year. Fastball command was a little spotty. It's not a coincidence that he has been unbelievable in this stretch with the fastball command improving, still trying to find that change up. And, you know, that that's okay. He's a young left-handed pitcher. Usually that takes a bit of time, but way more advanced than I think a lot of people would have thought he'd be at this point. And I mean, this is as good of a stretch as any pitcher in the minor leagues right now, 29 innings, two earned runs. And the w- strikeout to walk ratio is really what stands out to me. 28 to four. I mean, yeah. what more can you ask for? No, not much. Um, Solomito, like my take is as simple as it can get. He throws weird. And, you know, like if he throws weird, I think the walks are going to be there because it's not, you know, point A to point B mechanics that you're taught by your pitching coach. But somehow this guy has made it work. And and I'm a huge fan of guys that throw weird that can make it work and can repeat it. And what I've seen from Solomito at this point is repeatable weirdness. Yeah. And that is a recipe for immense success. Like there are guys that, I mean, fly because they have unorthodox slots. And there are great things that Madison Bumgarner does. Like when he was in San Francisco, the fastball was excellent, right? I mean, it was what the slider or the cutter that was excellent as well. Mm -hmm. But this guy had a weird arm swing and, and that gives him a benefit. There's serious benefit here to looking different than everybody else. Um, and I think that Solomito is finding guys that are used to seeing the cookie cutter delivery coming at them from a totally different angle that they've seen. Um, and he's got good enough stuff to thrive with that weird delivery. So I love that he's hitting the ground running here. I think they take their time. He's a 20 year old in high A. I wouldn't be shocked if he's in high A till September 1. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't be shocking. Uh, I agree. Again, 20 years old, as you mentioned, and, and, just right in the middle. He's 20 years old and six months. But what stands out to me specifically is first seven starts of the year, 21 walks. And then those last five starts, four walks. That's a big, big difference. difference. And when you talk about that unique delivery, that slingshot, there's, it's gotta be a little weird to sync up. He seems like he may have found that cue to get it synced up. And clearly for hitters, it is hard to pick up from that hand, specifically righties, which is the interesting part. He's actually been a reverse splits guy this year. Righties hitting a buck 71, lefties hitting 279, uh, which I'd almost rather it be that way. You see a guy like Nick Lodolo still trying to fully master getting the right-handed hitters out from or from that tough release point. But for whatever reason, he's, he's that reverse splits guy, uh, or excuse me, just the regular splits guy. I, I like the idea that, okay, all you got to do is is find a way to get left on left out a little bit more from that arm slot shouldn't be too hard. I'm going to stand up for a visual presentation here for the YouTube crowd, and I'm going to walk through it. So if if you're a lefty, right, 
you're throwing from this slot. Lefty sidearmers are very easy to pick up yeah. from righty bats yeah. because they see the ball. Like righties see Chris Sale pretty freaking well because he's throwing from here. He's throwing from like that low three-quarter sidearm slot, a lot like how righties can probably pick up Lodolo well. But the reason righties can't pick up a guy like Madison Baumgartner that well is because he has this weird like backswing, right? The ball's hidden for so long so behind long. his body. And that's Solomito. Like the ball is hidden so long behind his body, all of a sudden it jumps on you. And you don't see it until he's fully extended, ready to fire. You're so that was that was my visual representation of why he's good. That was fire. That was really good stuff for, Got for you. folks on YouTube. Another <laughs> pirate here, Sung Che Chang. And I just tweeted about him recently. Follow me on Twitter. You probably saw. I had to give Sung Che Chang his flowers, middle infield prospect with the Pirates. Last 15 games, 364, 485, 655. Nine extra base hits, including three triples, eight driven in, 13 walks, eight Ks. This dude's hitting the ball hard, though, which is what stands out because he's what? Five foot seven? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's five foot seven. He's in high A. And so Greensboro is, is a hitter's park. No, no, no way around that. And I do think that Chang ultimately is a 40 power guy. And right now he's got eight home runs. Yeah. But there's enough gap to gap juice here. And again, the hit tool looks plus that I, I'm really buying what he's selling. He hits it hard enough. He finds a gap. He's got a fantastic feel to hit, a fantastic approach. This dude, I think, is is more than just a guy on a hot streak. I think he's really solidifying himself as a very legitimate prospect up the middle. Probably second base is ultimately his hole, or excuse me, his home. But with the approach, with the bat to ball, with that swing from the left side and enough juice, I'm I'm pretty bought in here on the 21-year-old. So this cat on the year in 49 games is hitting 307 with 10 doubles, eight homers, and eight triples. So like, what? <laughs> that, that's, that's the crazy. thing that is crazy to me. He's one of, if I count this right, 27 qualified hitters in minor league baseball with an OPS over a thousand. And we're talking about guys with 40 plus games under their belt. I did not have this guy being a thousand OPS guy. I no. might've had him hitting 300, but with an 850 OPS, you know what I mean? Like he'll walk a little bit. He's not going to slug 600. Here he is. What? 49 games into his season. Slugging 600. Hitters Park, Schmitters Park. He's slugging 600. <laughs> so you're you're all the way in on on a little bit more juice, even even with the Hitters Park. Like obviously he's not going to slug 600. Yeah, uh, but doubles and ten homers maybe in, in there. So here's the thing: I was fooled by Bay last year. I was fooled by G1 Bay. You know, you see him and you immediately think slap hitter. And I had a conversation in the first month of the year with the pitching coach in Indianapolis, Eric Munson, who was a top three pick. You know, I want to say 20 years ago or something like this guy knows hitting really well. He's one mm -hmm. of the better hitting minds that I've been around in pro ball. And I asked him, I was like, is there a guy that jumps out to you that you feel like deserves a bit more love than what they get? And he said, I feel like people don't really understand how much power Bay has. Yes, he's not a power bat, but he can push it out. Like mm -hmm. he, he can really drop the hammer on some baseballs. 
And there's a lot of bay here, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I, so the last thing we'll, um, I'll add on on um, Chang is Jiwon Bay harder or better exit velocities, but Chang in the air more. I mean, Bay's ground ball rate's always kind of been that Achilles heel to the power output. So you could almost call that a wash. If he can tap into just one more notch, one more tick up in the 90th percentile, I mean, he, he could just be a doubles machine who sneaks out enough homers. So definitely a legitimate prospect worth following. And a guy that I, I think will be playing his way into the top 10 in this pirate system very soon, especially as some of the other names graduate. Yep. Next up, popular name, definitely somebody that I think with the way that he's performing, we're going to start hearing a lot more about. And I'm excited to add context to it because there's pros, there's cons, ultimately all good stuff. Justin Crawford, outfielder, Philadelphia Phillies, first round pick this past year, son of Carl Crawford, last 15 games, three, and he's in low A, 371, 420, 516 slash line, five doubles, two triples. That's fantastic. That's great stuff. And ultimately, we're talking about a high school guy. So I'm going to add some context here that is is probably going to feel like I'm trying to invalidate it. I'm not. I just have to show why I do feel like the wheels that he has are helping him big time. Yep. But at the end of the day, the bats of ball skills, I think, are better than a lot of people would have expected right out of the gate for a 19-year-old in full yep. season ball. 68% ground ball rate so far this season. Um that's too high, <laughs> obviously. 424 BABIP, that's going to be high because of the fact that he flies. And low A, you hit the ball on the ground, you motor, you're going to pick up a lot of hits. So that's one side of it. The other side is 103.5 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. I know a lot of it's in the ground, but still he hits the ball harder than, again, a lot of people may have expected. And 86% zone contact. So a great feel to hit. He's going to figure out how to get the ball in the air more. He's 6'3", 175. There's room to add muscle in that frame. And he's already flashed some decent exit velocities, 107, which for a 19-year-old, very solid. I think that he's going to struggle once he gets to high A because a lot of those ground balls now become outs because the defense is better. And it's just not, you're not going to get away with as much. But I think he's showing us that he was worthy of being a first-round pick. The bats of ball skills are good. He's hitting the ball hard. There's a lot to be excited about here. I remember with the minimal looks that we got at Justin Crawford before the draft on our draft live stream, you and I were both like excited for that pick for the Phillies because he flies and he's 24 for 27 in the stolen base department. Oof. Like, dude, I mean, he's burning like at, at an incredibly high efficiency too. And in low A, it's way easier to steal bases than in the upper minors because you know if somebody gets ahead 0-1, they're probably throwing a breaking ball. They're probably paying zero attention to you. So if he gets on base, he's standing at second. He's getting on base at a 400 clip. Yeah. So yeah. if you get on base at a 400 clip and you've got those wheels, you can be a big leaguer. Billy Hamilton was a big leaguer for a long time because whenever he was in the minor leagues, he was getting on base at a 400 clip. Yeah. I'm not saying that he's Billy Hamilton. I'm saying he's really fast and he's getting on base. Yeah. And that's the thing is the floor is, okay, guy that's just going to smack the ball on the ground and fly and, and steal bags. But again, you're seeing 6-3, you're seeing projectability there, and you're seeing already uh, some flashes of, of solid exit velocities. I think it's going to take a little bit of time, but there's a world where Crawford has, I think, 20 home run power if he hits the ball in the air. But he's got to figure out, you know, it's that tough line to toe of, 
I want to put the ball in play. I want to put the bat on the ball. I have great bat to ball skills. He's already hitting left on left really well, but also, Hey, I don't want to be a guy that's just only smacking balls on the ground. I don't want to be a slap hitter because he has a lot more potential than that. And then go find that. But it's, it's great news already that he is showing the things that he is showing. I think. Yeah. So his dad was a gold glover, a career 290 hitter with a 330 OBP, a 40-point jump from batting average to OBP. Justin's going to be better than that. He's going to be better than a 40-point jump. Now, is he going to hit 290? Probably not. The odds are stacked against him. But the ceiling for Justin Crawford is probably a more powerful version of his dad. Yeah, I think so. It's very, very possible. And I, I really like the defense already in the outfield. Obviously, it's a little raw, but it looks looks good. This is going to be a guy that I think once it all clicks, you could see some really exciting potential. And I love the strong start that he's off to. I think you're 100% right. Yeah. Next guy, Tanner Schobel, not somebody we've talked much about. Second round pick in the 2022 draft out of, I think it was, I think it was Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, Tech guy. Yes, he is a Virginia Tech guy. High A right now for the Twins, really starting to hit his stride. College bat, you know, you expect those guys to swing it in high A, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing. He's, he was kind of looked at as a utility piece, and he's really showing that. Last 15 games, though, 381, 458, 571 slash line, three home runs, five extra base hits. Great bat to ball skills, great approach, good defense, can play all over, decent wheels, will steal some bags. This is a solid prospect, a guy that will never enter the top 100 list, but will always be in that 10 to 15 range in a good system. I think he could finish this year as a top 10 prospect in the twin system, depending on you know how, where some guys fall and how some guys perform. But this is just another one of those high floor second round college picks. That's just doing what he's supposed to do, which is hit and play good defense and get, give you solid tools across the board. And he's really starting to get hot. Dude, that Virginia Tech team was stupid loaded. Chobel was there with Gavin Cross. Chobel had a higher OPS than Gavin Cross. He had the highest OPS on that team. Jack Hurley, 58 games in 11-16 OPS. Carson DiMartini, who's still there, 59 games in 11-10 OPS. Cade Hunter, 58 games, a 10-77 OPS. And then you get to Gavin Cross. Like, Chobel was the best of the bunch it's hard to outperform cross and he didn't when it comes to the draft that's a top 10 pick that we're talking about but he was a better hitter at virginia tech than gavin cross was last year 59 games for Chobel last year this cat hit 362 with a 450 obp walked 35 times punched out 40 and the slug was there he slugged almost 700 yeah that's the thing is there's some sneaky pop i think he can mix in 10 to 15 home runs he really struggled last year. It was only 28 games, but he struggled in low A. When you get a college bat who did what he did in the ACC and then has a 670 OPS in low A, you're like, ooh, you know, I'm not sounding the alarms because he could have been running out of gas. He could have been banged up. It could have been a myriad yeah. of things. But to be hitting his stride now in high A with Cedar Rapids, great sign. Definitely a solid prospect there who is continuing to improve his stock. I'm buying this hot streak right now. Yeah, I you got to give these guys like a little bit of a grace period if they are performing that well in a power conference. Like if I see an SEC hitter that is that good, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, like Sonny Deshera has struggled so far this year a little bit. I think he was he was hurt for a little bit. Um, well, Ivan Melendez, Big Twelve, starting to heat up. He's struggling. He's starting to heat up. So 
you know, these guys, if you're that good of a hitter in college baseball, yes, it may take a teensy bit of an acclimation process because high A is better. It's just objectively better than college baseball, no matter how much more televised college baseball is. But if he was that good of a hitter in the ACC, I'll buy a breakout. Absolutely. Next guy, another draft pick from this past year in 2022, a first rounder. Uh, late first rounder. I know I know a guy that you like as well. Cooper Jerpy, uh, currently on the injured list. I, I got to find out what it is exactly. It's seven day IL. Hopefully nothing too serious because he has been on a hot streak and we definitely want to see him continue to you know keep this momentum rolling and stay on the mound. Uh, I think they, they it's literally undisclosed as the injury. So we'll, we'll see what what that ends up being. But up to that point, he's been spectacular. The last four starts. 23 and a third innings in high A, a 1.54 ERA, 26 punch outs, nine walks. This is another funky lefty, similar to Solomito. Yeah. But the difference is, I think he was kind of drafted as this fast track him to the big leagues kind of guy. I think it was a little bit slower out of the gate than maybe some may have expected. But now he's hitting his stride. Again, hopefully it's just he misses a start or two and he's back. But it's a really tough release point. A negative four vertical attack angle like that is low and tough. 17 inches of horizontal on the fastball. So even though it's only 89-91, it plays up. There's plenty of in-zone whiff. He's been using the change, the slider, the cutter. Those have all been effective for him. I'd like to see him use the cutter a little bit more because it's been really effective as of late. But this is a guy that his ceiling and floor are very close. And that's a good thing because that's what he was drafted to be as a number four type starter. You hope that maybe he ticks up and he's a number three. But you got to feel very good about he, him being, at worst, a five starter who who gets outs for you. And I think he can get up there relatively quick, especially if he keeps this track that he's been on rolling here. Yeah, I, I think last year on the draft stream, I said, assuming health, this guy's the first player to the big leagues. Um, Neto obviously beat him. Is there one more that's up from last year? Neto beat him. Oh, this is going to piss me off if we forget after we record, but I think it's only Neto so far. I think it, it might only be Neto. Yeah. Um, but Jerpy, like, yeah, I thought this was the guy that was going to get fast track because he throws weird and you know, he's always going to strike dudes out. I didn't think the command was going to be an issue. Yeah. Command, that's been the interesting one, right? Yeah. Like command was an issue when it wasn't at any point at Oregon state. So I, I found that to be a little weird. It's been better as of late, but even in this hot stretch, it's, it hasn't quite been, um, I, I wouldn't say it hasn't been that, that just, can't miss command that we were expecting from him that would allow him to, to fly through. So it is something to monitor. And again, I hope, I hope he's not hurt with anything serious and and he's back soon. I do believe that Neto is the only guy that's, that's made it up so far. Uh, And, and I I don't know if anybody else will be getting there too quickly. Next up is an Astros player, an outfielder who really caught my attention. I mentioned him a couple of times already early this year, caught my attention on the backfields and just continues to look phenomenal. Another dude that gets brought up to the PCL in the middle of a hot streak. How awesome is it for Quincy Hamilton to get brought up right when the triple a ball club is playing in Albuquerque. And so what happens is he goes there. Seven home runs in his last 10 games, by the way. That also goes back to to double A. But promoted to triple A in that road trip when they're at Albuquerque and goes deep four times in that series. The power is a 50. It's it's not a 60, like a guy that's hit seven home runs in 10 games. It's a 50. So you can take the the crazy homer streak with a grain of salt. But it's above average juice. It's above average hit and a really good approach. 
I think he's a big leaguer. I talked to a couple uh, people within the Astros organization on those backfields. And the response I got when I brought up Quincy Hamilton was big leaguer. And, and I totally see the same thing. He's 25, just turned 25, earns great marks for the makeup. And it's just been on a phenomenal streak now carrying that into the, to, to the PCL. I really like this guy. I think he's a great piece. He can play all three outfield spots. And I mean, the PCL is going to really allow him to eat even more. Uh, Quincy Hamilton's a good piece here. Yeah. So when the numbers normalize every year, going back to his what first year of college, like he's good every year. There, there's not a year that jumps out and it's like, oh my gosh, this guy was freaking unbelievable. But he's just been good everywhere. In double A Corpus Christi, like slow start, heated up. The numbers normalized. He was good. OPS over 800. Like, obviously, he's going to take a step back from, from this out-of-body experience that he just had in Albuquerque. But it's almost a guarantee that he'll be good, I assume. So that's, I feel like, what the Astros see, right? He's he's a very low-stress prospect. Happy 25th birthday, by the way. Is it today? Yeah, Quincy Hamilton's 25th birthday today. Ooh, and there we go. Happy birthday, Quincy Hamilton. Another guy, though, almost reverse splits, which is interesting. Just demolishing, small sample size, only 44 plate appearances, but just demolishing lefties this year. So could he could hit enough to be an everyday player. And again, you get the, the enough power, good speed, can play all three outfield spots. I think this is going to be one of those sneaky guys that ends up being a solid big leaguer for the Astros. Yeah. Next Jack Leiter. We've talked about Leiter and this little resurgence that he's had as he's settled in a little bit. Uh, one of our one of our own, Trevor Huth, is working on a dive into Leiter's hot streak recently and, and what he's been doing. You'll get the last seven starts, 36 innings, a 2-5 ERA, 47 strikeouts, 19 walks in double A there for the Rangers, a 161 opponent batting average. The fastball is playing like a 70, but he's also throwing it 70% of the time. Yeah. Another dude with a negative four vertical attack angle. That That is elite. That is so low. And the ball just takes off out of his hands. It's 19 inches of IVB from a low vertical attack angle. That's going to make the fastball play like a plus plus pitch. And it has. The problem with Leiter has been there's not really much else working for him right now. The slider has been good, but I, I don't know how much confidence he has. And he has more confidence in the slider than the curveball right now. But he's only throwing the slider 17% of the time, the curveball 11% of the time. And he'll mix in a couple changeups a game that usually just aren't there. He's been really spiking the curveball, even in these good starts. The slider has been good. I want to see more slider usage. I think he could predominantly be fastball slider and have success. Because again, he's riding this hot streak by just leaning on what is a plus plus fastball and just saying, here it is, try and hit it, and throwing it right over the heart of the plate. And we're seeing guys now in the big leagues have success that way. Leiter, you know, Leiter's supposed to be a more complete pitcher than that, but I think it's a great sign that he's found that fastball again, and he's dominating double-A hitters with that fastball when it's on. And he's been on a nice stretch. Long ball is going to beat him from time to time, especially in the Texas League, and especially being a guy that's going to throw high-spin fastball at the top of the zone plenty. But this is a good sign overall. Yes. Uh, now I'm pulling out the fire extinguisher. The The bad sign for me is he's so fastball reliant and the command hasn't or the control hasn't gotten better. He's still walking five and a half per nine. Like I, I know that the command has gotten better after a couple rough, rough starts to open the year. And he's put together some, you know, one walk performances, two walk performances. But like this guy, if you're, you know, one and a half pitches right now or two pitches right now. 
you got to hit your spots more. The the thing that has gotten him better by a run and a half per per game I, or in terms of ERA, he was a 5-5 five, five last year. He's a 4 right now. You know, guys just aren't barreling him up as much as they were last year. He was getting barreled up and he was walking guys last year. He's getting barreled up less. But he's still walking the same number of guys. I need to see the walk numbers go down. You're right. I mean, it, it is really the the big thing right now. And the fastball quality has been the separator between the, the two years, as you mentioned. But I mean, yeah, I, if you're a hitter right now against Jack Leiter, you're hunting fastball. And it's and the fastball has been good enough to where you guys are fouling it off when it, you feel like you're on it. But he should be blowing it by guys. And he would if anybody had the respect that he should command for those secondary pitches. If I'm worried about a slider and curveball, that fastball will blow me up. But right now, not only is there really a, a slim chance that you're going to see anything but the fastball with the 70% usage, there's an even slimmer chance that he's going to spot it for a strike. So it's like, yeah. there's only a 25% chance I see a, an off-speed pitch and then cut that in half that it's going to be a strike. So it, that's that's the hard part right now. I, if he spots three sliders or curveballs and strikes me out, I'll tip my cap because that's yeah. that's just not happening right now. Uh, I'm encouraged, but I, I'm still a little bit frustrated yeah. because of how talented he is. Yeah, we're taking steps and the makeup is off the charts. Like off the you charts. love him as a guy. Like I've heard nothing but excellent things about Jack Leiter. He, he was on this show. I mean, like, yes, it's really encouraging and I am encouraged, but we got to see more. Mm -hmm. Have to. Absolutely. You know, he's going to work hard and and continue to. And it was interesting. We had a conversation with Walker Bueller on the Just Baseball show about these these gem prospects that have dominated through college. And, you know, how much do teams really like to to try to help them in these situations? And a lot of times, as he mentioned, which was interesting, is it's kind of hands off because they don't want to mess with you too much. But maybe this is a point in time where you start to to play around with things, start to try to tweak some things with that delivery, because the thing is, is he's been better. But other than maybe slowing it down a tad in the windup, the the, the, the delivery is pretty much the same. And I, I don't think that that's going to help him command his secondaries more. I think something has to change to be able to command the spin, because right now it's it just we're, we're looking at a season and a half now of struggles with, uh, you know, the secondary stuff command wise. So I'm interested to follow that. But on the same with that same breath, the Rangers haven't done a great job of developing. So it's an interesting spot for Jack Leiter. Slightly better outlook. Just turned 23. So it's like, let's not sound the alarms too crazy. I think he's watered down some of the risk, but we we need to see a little bit more. I totally agree. Yeah. And just last thing on that Walker Bueller point, like we almost have to find a middle ground or the Rangers have to find a middle ground between not doing anything and just letting him be, letting him fail. Bueller mentioned that. Like you let a guy that you have that you know, commitment in like you paid him that money. You took him second overall for him, for who he was. So you want to see that guy try and succeed. If he fails, that's when you go. So you don't want to be completely hands off. But he brought up, you know, one of Walker's best friends, Carson Fulmer, where the White Sox were immediately completely hands on with yep. Fulmer and that screwed him. So yes. you've got to find a middle ground. Very, very tough spot. And and that's one of the harder parts, I think, in, in development period, especially with with college arms. You're, you're totally right. Next guy is somebody that we, we haven't talked about in a little bit. And it's exciting to see, you know, what he's doing right now. Austin Shenton. Mm -hmm. How about Austin Shenton of the Tampa Bay Rays? 
somebody that we've always, I think, been the high guys on because Shenton has never really come with that much fanfare, especially in a perpetually loaded race system. But this dude's going nuts in double A right now in the Southern League. Last 20 games for Shenton, 408, 483, 789 slash line, seven home runs, 12 walks, 11 strikeouts. He's whiffing less. He's lifting more and just consistently hitting the ball hard. 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity on the season. We've talked about Shenton since the beginning of this podcast as just somebody that has always been underrated, even since he mashed on the Cape FIU guy. The power is impressive doing it in the Southern League and the approach just being so much better. He's got to be getting a call up to AAA relatively soon. And he's still playing a pretty good third base. I'm a big fan of the lefty, and it's been fun to see him just really hit this stride here over the last 20. Bro, this cat's just straight up good. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing about Shenton. I mean, he's he's full-blown good. Last year, he was wait, injury-plagued, right? 750 OPS. He played 52 games. He's matched his game total so far this year, and his OPS is up over 200 points. Austin Shenton is a good player. Austin Shenton is going to be a major league baseball player. Yeah. Uh, problem with the promotion to Durham is that displaces some other stuff that they got going on because they have Manzardo. You know, if you look at the pecking order with Tampa, you've got Isak Paredes at third. You've got Yandy Diaz at first at the big league level. And then you've got Jonathan Aranda and Kyle Manzardo. And then you've got Curtis Mead. And then it's Shenton. Yeah. You have a lot of traffic that you got to fight through here. Ah, dare we say trade chip. <laughs> it might be another trade chip. Uh, it's so quick with Pereira. Might as well just say it was Shenton too. Yeah, just say. 160 WRC plus though in that league over the course of, of this season so far is important to note. And another important note that you highlighted there, thank you for that, is he was hurt last year. Like he was, he only played 52 games. He was banged up last year. So he's, and he was still a 750 OPS. Yeah. That's the thing, man. Usually hurt guys are like a 650. Yeah. And then what he did in 2021 was just demolish baseball. So this is a big league bat. I totally agree. And he's really making his case now to either force a promotion and make it crowded over there or force his way to another organization. So good spot for Shenton to be in regardless and just keep smashing. So I real quick, Alika Williams was his teammate in Montgomery. Alika Williams was flipped for Robert Stevenson. Big league reliever went from the Pirates to the Rays. Stevenson now in the Rays bullpen. Alika was in Montgomery the entire year. As soon as the trade happened, Pittsburgh assigned him to triple. I could see that happening where like they flip him for a big league need. And instead of reporting to that double A affiliate, he just goes right to triple. A hundred percent. And it's funny because in one of our next episodes, I wanted to just specifically highlight the Rays. As I'm looking at that entire system, guys are performing everywhere. And that's why they flipped Alika because Carson Williams He's playing like a top 25 prospect in baseball. Yeah, I mean, nuts. In, in high A. So Caminero, like, Ronnie Simon. Yeah, everybody's good. So they've, and then even Xavier Isaac, he's not going to get to double this year, but he looks really good. I've been really impressed with him, their first rounder last year. Like the, the guys below are, are pushing their way up, and there's just a log jam. So I, I think we're going to see the Rays be relatively busy as they always are with the log jam that they have. Yeah. The, the Cleveland Guardians perpetually have a log jam of arms and another another arm here that is probably worthy of a promotion pretty soon but again they're gonna have to find room in that double a rotation tommy mace right-handed pitching prospect of the guardians the last three starts have been comical the last two starts have actually been ridiculous but last three 20 innings 
a 1.80 ERA, 21 strikeouts, two walks, 12 hits. He's a college arm in high A, he's 6'7", he's 24. So he's definitely older than the competition, he's more advanced than the competition, and he's picking them apart. That said, I think that this guy is just really hitting a stride now too. The stuff looks a little bit better. The command has really hit the point of being plus and the feel for his whole arsenal is solid. So while while nothing jumps off the page stuff wise, he goes to four different pitches, uh, at least 10 to 11% or more. And is just spotting Tommy Mace looks like another arm in this guardian system that's buried, but I mean, he's really starting to, to turn heads specifically the last start eight innings of two hit shutout ball, no walks, 11 Ks. Uh, this guy's looking real good. Yeah, real good. And Mace was, wait, he was he was a candidate, like a top five pick, top 10 pick candidate going into 21. And he was pretty underwhelming. He had like a f- mid fours at Florida. It's, it's not Dolander because Dolander still has some of that top 10 pick. Yeah, it's just pepper. different level of electricity. Yeah, exactly. Like Mace was not that electric, but Mace, I think people looked at and said, hey, you kind of look like Brady Singer. That could work. And then he didn't have the domination that Singer had in his draft year. So he didn't go as as high as Singer did. But Tommy Mace was a talented arm, man. Like there's a reason that he was floated as a top 10 pick before his junior year. Full tick up this year on the fastball, uh, which is interesting. Now up to, to 93, pretty much averaging on the heater. And this is a candidate to me at six, seven, pretty low effort mechanics. I think this is someone that could see a second tick up. And if he sees a second tick up now, the outlook changes even more. So command being there is really encouraging Four pitches being there is really encouraging. Uh, again, just an arm that should definitely be on your radar in that guardian system. And he's huge. He's six, six, two. That's what I'm saying. He's, he's plenty of room. And that's why I think he could be a, a, a another second tick up kind of guy. Yeah. Back to the bats. Orioles guy. Judd Fabian, who has come with plenty of, of draft intrigue multiple times. You remember he was drafted by the Red Sox, didn't sign, then gets drafted by the Orioles, really hitting his stride in high A and playing a good outfield as well. Last 20 games, 362, 465, 681 slash line, four homers, 20 Ks, 16 walks. There's a fair amount of whiff, and that was always going to be there. But what stands out to me is the approach has just gotten really good, very patient, and the power is playing – when you've got a guy that can play all three outfield spots, play a good center field, he hedges the whiff with good game power and a good approach. You can kind of see it starting to come together here for Fabian. Another system where it's a log jam top to bottom, and, and he's probably close to a double-A promotion as a college bat. He's younger for a college bat, even with a guy that was drafted twice, still just twenty, a young 22 years old. Uh, but Fabian, this might be a real kind of – I wouldn't call it a breakout because he's, he's, he was always a highly regarded prospect, but this might be that clicking moment for, for Judd Fabian. Yeah. I, I was always like, I think Judd Fabian's really good. And people said, wait, why? And I was, like, I was honestly, I was lower. I, I was probably one of those guys. I, I, I was always worried about the whiff. Yeah. And, and the whiff is there, but I was like, this dude hits the crap out of the ball. I mean, he was a 20 homer guy at Florida. He walked all the time. I mean, he was flirting with a 450 OBP at Florida. Like he was. And, and an what, athlete. Yeah. Like he's, he's a good athlete. I was like this, this guy, he just also screams high floor college bat. And you know that I have such a fucking soft spot for those guys. So that's what Fabian was. He kind of looks like that in pro ball right now. The other thing that jumps out to me, he has 18 bags already. That far surpasses any other spot in his life that he's been at. 
There's 2020 upside here. OBP, all three outfield spots. This is an intriguing guy if he can maintain this at double A. Double A is going to be a test for him. As, as you know, when you're a 78% zone contact guy in high A, some, sometimes guys maintain that in double. Sometimes that slides down to the low 70s. And now there's a lot of pressure on the approach and a lot of pressure on the power. But I'm getting more optimistic with this guy as we keep going. And the zone contact over this 20 game stretch was was way up. So maybe something clicked here with the bat to ball department as well. Can I also say Judd Fabian was part of a twofer on behind the scenes, just baseball's newest podcast, Judd oh, Fabian yeah. and Dylan Beavers. Sat yeah, down that'll be coming Burton. out relatively soon. Uh, and, and I'm really excited about that. It's the kind of beyond baseball, really just kind of getting into you know, what these guys do in their personal life, things that they, they've been through to get to where they are and and really just the human aspect of this whole thing. So look out for that, for that podcast as, as a show dropping soon. And that individual episode will be one of the few uh, that we see right out of the, out of the gate as one of them that they're excited to drop very soon. So keep an eye out for that behind the scenes. Next guy talk about high four college bats. How about Jace young? His brother's destroying baseballs at the big league level. Jace got off to a bit of a slow start, especially because he was viewed as that high four college bat. Still in high A, you know, you were kind of hoping to see him in double by now, but it's been nice to see him on this streak. 15 games, or the last 15 games, 344, 406, 656. Four doubles, five homers, 15 driven in. He's still whiffing, though. Uh, there's There's been some strikeouts, you know, in, across this span, which is still kind of concerning. This is one of those where he's on the heat sheet, he's performing, but I'm taking it with a grain of salt. What's interesting is, He's striking out a decent amount, but the end zone whiff isn't a great. It, it's a really weird situation. Like I got to watch more video of him. He just seems like he's still trying to feel things out. I'm still a Jace Young believer. I think he can be a really solid bat and this stretch is good, but the whiff just doesn't totally add up for me with the way he's, or the strikeout rate just doesn't totally add up for me right now. So it could be a Julian type thing where he's just getting incredibly deep in counts and yeah. he's just going down on the wrong pitch. Yeah. Like that's Edward Julian. The end zone whiff is not egregious for Julian at all. He just no, doesn't no. swing. Yeah. So it could be what's going on with Jace Young, too, because, I mean, he's got an 100 point bump over an 100 point bump from batting average to OBP. So yeah. he might just be getting into a bunch of deep counts and whiffing at the wrong pitches or not swinging at the wrong pitches. And, you know, I think it's encouraging, maybe not as much as the next guy we're going to talk about in, in the Diamondback system. But for the Tigers, it's a good sign. I do believe that the Tigers development is is totally overhauled. And I think they're in a, a good spot. And I think Jace Young, for there couldn't have been a much better situation for him for Scott Harris and, and co to take over. I really like what they're doing uh, with the development side of things. And I think that's going to help him here. I would have been a lot more alarmed if it was the old regime and he was off to the slow start. So I think he's showing good signs. Definitely still a bat that should be on everybody's radar. Yeah. Your, your boy Jordan Lawler of the Diamondbacks is really starting to hit his stride. You look at the last 15 games, really been going nuts. 375, 412, 641 slash line, 10 extra base hits, four stolen bases, seven punch outs, and 68 plate appearances. That might be the most important thing. Bat to ball skills have really looked better of late. The approach has always been there. So another guy that patient. But then when you get deep in counts and you're whiffing a little bit more than you're used to, then you're going to strike out more. But the bat-to-ball skills have been better. The approach has always been there. He's hitting the ball hard. 
I'm starting to see the Jordan Waller that we were expecting this year. He's 20 years old in double A. So it's understandable to get off to a slow start. Really excited to, to see him start to hit his stride here because I'm buying what he's selling, right? Like this is a guy that we have is a top 15, 16 prospect in baseball. He's finally settling in 20 years old. Sometimes it takes a little time in the upper levels. Yeah. I'm not holding my L yet on the Lawler greater than sign Meyer. No, you shouldn't. I'm not going to. I I know that Meyer got off to this crazy start. Lawler got off to a brutal start. And, you know, the the dialogue immediately started. It was like, yeah, you know, Meyer has passed up Lawler. But I, I mean, I... I'm not saying that I expected this bounce back whatsoever, but that was not Lawler. At the I beginning. mean, I think we did expect this bounce back. Like, it, to this shocked, extent, though, I thought it was going to be slowly but surely. Yeah, that's true. I, I did think it would be more slowly but surely. And it's been kind of nuclear. Another yeah. guy, very interested to look at the video and see if there was maybe an adjustment. Because you look at the last 30 games, zone contact bumps up to 85%. When you look at the first... 25 or so games, it was like 75% zone contact. So something changed there. He's always hit the ball in the air and now he's hitting it a little bit harder. I think the power is going to continue to play and he's a speedy guy, obviously tools across the board. Great sign for diamondbacks. I mean, this is so good for the diamondbacks, right? You have the big league team just playing out of their minds. And now Lawler hits a stride right, right at the same time and double fun time to be a diamondback fan. Yes, absolutely. Um, Lawler, yeah. I mean, if if you look at his expectations as equilibrium, as zero, like the expectations that we had for him, I guess I would feel better if it was, hey, he's performing slightly below expectations, and then he performs slightly above expectations, and he gets to those expectations. Instead, it was, he was really bad, and then he was really good, so he's back at where we expect him to be. Yeah, yeah it's funny how that works, but... Steady the rest of the year, and it's a really solid year. The guy that was 20 for half the season in double, you can't ask for much more. I think if he finishes anywhere around an 800 OPS, and odds are he might finish better than that, you got to be pretty happy with that for for his age and that level as a high school guy. Another Diamondback, AJ Vukovic. We talked about him when we broke down the Diamondback system. I talked about some of my concerns there. It's nice to see the stretch that he's on right now another double a guy. So it's, it's nice to see him doing it in double a big dude, six, five, good athlete, multi-sport athlete, last 15 games, 328, 365, 690, 10 extra base hits, 17 driven in. So him and, and Lawler have kind of hit the stride at the same time. He's had a nice year overall so far. There's swing and miss in his game. That was you know kind of always going to be there as a big dude with longer levers, but tapping into more power, especially in games approach has gotten better. He's still in He's 21 as well. He's not going to be 22 for another couple months. He's he's a, a fine prospect that I think is playing his way into top 10 consideration. So trying to find a position. He's played third. He's played left. He's played center. Again, a good athlete. Just someone that I'm not going to make any strong take on. Until, I just got to watch more. But he's catching my attention, uh, which is great because he was off to a bit of a slow start. Yeah, he's hitting the ball like a big, strong man. That's yeah. my only takeaway. Over the last 15, he's hitting the ball like a big boy, and he is a big boy. Another guy, well, we'll talk about hitting the ball like a big boy. Tyler Locklear of the Seattle Mariners is hitting the ball like a big boy, and he is crushing baseballs. He's been crushing balls all year. So while it's been some of the guys that are slow start heating up, he's just been hot, and now it's really hot. Uh, yeah. The last 15 games, 315, 456, 593 slash line, seven extra base hits, four home runs, 12 driven in, 10 walks, even snuck in three stolen bases. 
uh, for the Mariners at the high A level. Locklear, 22 years old, power bat, patient hitter, 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile. This dude's just fun. And, and I think he's turning a lot of heads with how he's hit all year long. Locklear is, is, is looking like a good power bat. Yeah. I mean, you got to be really excited from what you've seen from Locklear and from Jonathan Classe. Right. Those are the two that have jumped out. Brian Wu was awesome. He parlayed that into a big league call up. Locklear is not going to make his big league call up this year. Class A, probably not going to make his big league debut this year. But you can really appreciate, you know, what what this guy is doing as a power bat. I think there's a spot for him in what the top 10 Mariners prospects. This system is this system is thinned out big time, big time, big time. And we're going to actually do that. That's one of the next systems we're going to do. I've been working on that in the background a little bit, and, and I'm excited to write up Locklear and dive in a bit deeper. Well, thanks for telling me, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I decided that today. Um, yeah. Former Mariners prospect, now with the Reds, Edwin Arroyo, as we get to the final three here. Edwin Arroyo, we, we had him in the top 100 to start the year. We we voiced some concerns that we had around the approach, uh, the bat to ball maybe not being as good as people may have expected, and he got off to a slow start. But again, he was still on the top 100 list for a reason. He's he's a good prospect. Got off to a slow start in high A. Finished slow kind of last year too. But this kid's still 19 years old, switch hitter. And he has really started to heat up. Last 15 games, 383, 397, 650, nine extra base hits, three homers, five for six on the stolen base department, only 11 strikeouts. The chase rate has dropped a good bit over the last 20 to 25 games. He's making more contacts. He's hitting the ball harder. Like he's checking every single box you want to see checked in the data department. And when I watch, I see a much more confident hitter. Great sign from Edwin Arroyo as he's starting to really get rolling here because this is a red system that is really good. And I felt like he was starting to get forgotten with you know, L.A. De La Cruz doing what he's doing and Carnacion Strand. And uh, you know, you have some of the pitchers that are performing and the system has become so good. Novi Marte has been, been looking really solid. But don't forget about Edwin Arroyo now starting to make his case as a guy that still needs to be considered as a top 100 guy and you know still needs to be taken pretty seriously and really nice stretch for him. Is he going to walk? No. Ah. But, but the point being, though, chase rate has been slashed. So maybe. I don't think he'll walk a lot, but, like but a lot more yet. than than a 3% clip. <laughs> yeah, but like, even if the chase rate's been slashed, like he's still not walking. I know. I know. He's not he's striking. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it could be, I mean, we talk about it all the time, right? Like the plus hit tool, young guy, you know, confident. You can get wrong to everything. Play. Yeah. yeah. But like, dude, just walk a little bit. I feel I a lot better about you if you walk more because you can swipe I, bags. I agree. I would like to see him walk more too. And 19 in high A though. So. Got to cut him some slack there, but I agree, man. Just like, don't please, swing. <laughs> just swing a little less. Just a teensy bit less. Nick York of the Red Sox, who, what, what a ride it's been. The, the Nick York roller coaster has been fun. I think banged up last year. I think that affected him and then kind of started to adjust his swing and, and just kind of got in this in-between phase of trying to find who he was again because he was so good in his first full pro season. It was, it was really him and, and Volpe that were just kind of taking – the league by storm or the minor leagues by storm was just how quickly his high school guys, they were just mashing. Then York was banged up, struggled, was whiffing power. Wasn't totally there. And now he's bounced back this year as a 21, a young 21 year old. He was 20 
uh, at the start of the season in double A, there's whiff. Like he's never going to be a plus hit tool guy, even though the batting average is high, but he's hitting the ball really hard. 105 mile per hour, 90th percentile. And it's, it's, it's uh, well above. It's like 105.5 patient approach. He's going to take his walks, send the ball in the air more. He looks like a good power hitting second baseman who you might strike out a little bit more than you'd like to see, but he's going to hedge that with walks with power. And he's really helping his case again as someone that's already had a little bit of a roller coaster as a prospect for how young he is. You know what he's doing? He's doing the Matos thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's identical to the Matos thing. It's consensus, you know, top 50 ish guy, maybe a lot higher. And then it's, we move off him too quick. Yeah. Consensus out of the top 100. (laughs) Yeah. And then consensus he's back in the top 100. So yeah. I, when the Red Sox drafted Nick York, they dreamt on 300, 400, 500. In 2021, he was 325, 412, 516. So he was 300, 400, 500. He had a bad 2022. He goes to the fall league. He's awesome in the fall league. Yeah. 342, 424, 526 in 19 games. What's he doing this year? 300, 400, 500. Slashing 297, 401, 500 even. That's all they want from it. Granted, way easier said than done. Way easier asked for than a Just do that. Yeah, just go be a 300, 400, 500 guy. Yeah. That's what Nick York, that's what Nick York is. Especially if if he's in in Boston. That guy will pepper the wall in left field. I would say with York too, he he made this adjustment where you'd think it would make things more complicated. His hands are high up over his head, but that was a cue for him to get slotted earlier and get into his back hip and get his hands into a position earlier. And I think that's actually allowed him to get the lower half involved, see the ball earlier and make better swing decisions and use the whole field and stay back. So you might look at stances changing and things like that and be like, oh no, what is he doing? I think that was a cue for him to get him to where he wanted to be. And I'm I'm sold on, on that adjustment that he's made, helping him you know, be a more consistent hitter. So I like what I'm seeing there. Let's wrap it up with Michael Bush, who has eminent big leaguers. We'll talk about him you know, next episode as well. Last 15 games for the Dodgers AAA affiliate in Oklahoma City. 305, 394, 576. Nine extra base hits, 14 driven in, nine walks, 19 Ks, and 71 plate appearances. Talk about patience. <laughs> this guy is as patient as they come. But the 86% zone contact what stands out to me. Putting the ball on the ground more than he should as a power bat, 47% ground ball rate. But you look over the span of where he's been swinging it better, it's been a bit lower. I would just like to see him get everyday opportunities at the big league level. Obviously he's a Dodger. So that makes it hard. He seems like that poor man's Max Muncie, which I love walk power and enough hit. I want to see this guy get an everyday opportunity somewhere. Maybe there's a spot for him with the Dodgers when, you know, they have somebody go down. He's been playing a lot more third lately, which is interesting because no, the the, uh, scouts hate his glove at second, but maybe he can find something where he can be a, Average or slightly below average defender at 30 can't be that much worse than Max Muncy. He's homered three of his last four games. He walks a ton. Even if he doesn't hit right out of the gate, that walk takes some pressure off the ability to get on base. Maybe the Dodgers give him a shot. Again, trade chip. That's a guy that if he gets traded, probably plugs in immediately to, to a, a rebuilding big league team or, or just kind of a middling big league team and gets a, gets a shot. So we'll see what the Dodgers do. I think there's a reason why they haven't moved him. I do think they like him a lot. And I do think he gets a shot with them relatively soon. I just would like to see some consistent big league at bats because this last 15 games has really 
kind of solidified me as this guy's ready. The only thing that I have to add is this guy is a major leaguer right now. He yes. is. He's just surplus. He's yeah. the 27th man for the L.A. Dodgers. Yeah. He's a big leaguer. Like yeah. he's he's too good for triple. Um, I don't even want to say he's a tweener because I just don't no. think he got a fair shot at the big league level. What do you get like uh, eight? Games? He, got a can- he got a cup of coffee and he had a multi hit game in there. He walked a few times. He didn't strike out. I don't think t- oh, he did have like three straight two strikeout games. But again, I, I'm, I that's OK. He's going to walk and he's going to hit for power. Give him yeah. a consistent shot. So we'll see how they handle him. We'll talk more about that in the imminent big leaguers episode coming up next. That'll do it for this one. We'll, we'll start doing these probably every couple of weeks. You know, I think we'll offset it with the mailbag. So every other week you're going to have, you know, either a mailbag episode or a heat sheet type of thing that we're doing and excited to do that. Next episode's the imminent big leaguers. We'll try to mix in a prospect interview one of these days here, but Jack, any final thoughts? Um, I don't think so. I like all these guys. They're all playing pretty well. They are playing very well. (laughs) We'll talk to you again in the next day or two with imminent big leaguers. As always, thank you for listening. Talk prospects with you soon. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.